Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I have no comments today, um, so you'll have to just uh, get out there, do some writing. If you're, if you're embarrassed to write, write anyway. We, uh, we'll just give your first name so no one can track you down. Well, on our last podcast, we continued discussing Jim's dinner engagement with Marlo. We almost finished Chapter 10. There's so much to talk about. So today, what uh, we want to do is we want to continue our discussion in Chapter 10, and we're just at the very end. So, And then, of course, we have the goal of reaching Chapter 12. Now, my partner in literature is here with me in the studio again today. So welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. It's good to be here again. Of course, also uh, with us in the studio is my producer, Gabe. And as I said last time, Gabe will be coming on a panel with me before we finish the novel. And so uh, he's, he's heard everything. He's also reading it. So he's going to be ready to go. Um, I don't know if I need to repeat my little uh, classroom kind of instruction, but remember the key to understanding uh, this book is to remember that Marlowe is actually telling Jim's story and then the frame narrator pops in occasionally. And so it, it really is, you have to read it slowly sometimes, you have to think about it. Um, but uh, uh, it's not just necessarily a conversation between Jim and Marlowe. There's, there's all kinds of different insets going on all the time. So, so last time we were really just at, at the very end of, uh, of chapter 10 and there's a few other things I want to talk about. I still... I still think the funniest thing is when he calls the skipper and his two mates three dirty owls. I, I think I think that's hilarious. One of the other shocking things we talked about is that Jim blames his jump on the three, the three men, and uh, it's it's almost like he he uh, won't own up to it that that he could have done that. And uh, uh, of course, we also know that Marlowe has really a lot of good things to say about Jim. He's really kind of defends him uh, in more ways than one. And so if we just uh, uh, just go on just to finish Chapter 10 a little bit, I think that the highlights that, that you need to understand is that um, while they're on the boat, and, and this is where Jim just could care less, but he's listening to it all, the, uh, the three, and they're sinister people, the three make up stories as to why they, they left the ship. And so, uh, you know, it's really, page 94 is kind of like, it's interesting, it's it's almost like commentary by Conrad on truth and lies. And uh, if you, if if you uh, just, maybe just read some of this, it says, uh, this is top of page 94, it says, they hadn't meant anything, they didn't care a hang for George. George had gone back to his berth or something at the last moment and got caught. The man was manifest full. Very sad, of course. Their eyes looked at me. Their lips moved. They wagged their heads at the other end of the boat. Um, three of them. They beckoned to me. Why not? Hadn't I jumped? I said nothing. There are no words for that sort of things I wanted to say. 
If I had opened my lips just then, I would have simply howled like an animal. I was asking myself when I when would I wake up. They urged me aloud to come aft and hear quietly what the skipper had to say. We were sure to be picked up before the evening, right in the track of all the canal traffic. There was no smoke to the northwest now. It gave me an awful shock to see this faint, faint blur, this low trail of brown mist through which you could see the boundary and sea of sea and sky. I called out to them that I could hear very well where I was. The skipper started swearing as hoarse as a crow. He wasn't going to talk at the top of his voice for my accommodation. Are you afraid they will hear you on shore? I asked. He glared as if he would have liked to claw me to pieces. The the chief engineer advised him to honor me. He said, I wasn't right in my head yet. The other rose astern like a thick pillar of flesh and talked and talked. Now, <clears throat> here Marlowe's coming in and says, Jim remained thoughtful. Well, I said, what did I care? What story they agreed to make up? He cried r- r- recklessly. So now... It's like he's not talking to the men on the ship. He's talking with Marlowe. And he said, I didn't care what they made up. And so that, that's when we find out that they're making up this story. And they wanted him to come aft or to the back of the boat so they could whisper it. And that's why Jim says, well, do you think people on the shore? So in this, they're in the, some kind of a canal where there could be other docks, I guess. And there could be other people in boats they can't see. I'm not sure why, but, but they, uh, they didn't want to talk really, really loud. And he said, um, he said uh, they could tell what they jolly well liked. It was their business. I knew the story. Nothing they could make people believe could alert it for me. I let him talk, argue, talk, argue. Uh, he went on and on. Suddenly I felt my legs give way under me. I was sick, tired, tired to death. I let fall the tiller turned my back on them and sat down on the foremost thwart. And that was like a seat on the boat. It says, I had enough. They called to me to know if I understood. Wasn't it true? Every word of it. It was true. After their fashion, I did not turn my head. I heard them palavering together. And so so essentially what he thought the word palavering means, idle talk. He said, as far as he was concerned, it was their story, but it was all idle garbage. You know, he didn't want to have have anything to do with it. Um, <clears throat> then the next day, it's, uh, I, th- I think it's also interesting to note, uh, and again, I'll let you read this for yourself. Page 95, it says that they, they had drunk water from a water beaker, and he drank it too. So, you know, he doesn't want to admit he's one of them, but he's willing to drink water with them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and then the next day, uh, if you remember uh, early on, he lost his hat, and it was totally sunny. You know, can you imagine being on the, on the water, being blonde, blue-eyed, handsome as I am? I mean, just excuse me. I mean, just handsome. Uh, anyway, uh, and you know, he's he's facing uh, the the heat, and that that they had done is they had, you know, put some covers up, and they were, they were under those under the shade of the canvas on the boat, and then actually they were sleeping. Hear them snoring. You know, so, so they didn't seem to care much at all. And, but he did, he did not get out of the sun. And he, he, said, um, he said, I didn't get brain fever. I did not drop dead either, he went on. I didn't bother myself at all about the sun over my head. I was thinking as coolly as any man that had ever sat thinking in the shade. That greasy beast of a skipper poked his big cropped head from under the canvas 
screwed his fish eyes up at me and said, Donner wetter, you will die, he growled, and drew in like a turtle. I had seen him, I heard him, he didn't interrupt me. I was thinking just then that I wouldn't. You know, so so anyway, he goes on to say, he tried to sound my thought with an attentive glance and dropped me on in the passing. Do you mean to say you had been deliberating with yourself whether you would die? I asked an impenetrable... I asked, as impenetrable a tone I could command, he nodded without stopping, yes. And so so there's another another point there. Is he admitting that he might yes. kill himself? Mm-hmm. Yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, I, it had come to me, come to that as I sat there alone. You know. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, um, but then I, I think it's interesting, the next chapter, chapter 11, so... So we're making progress. We're out of 10, now we're into 11. So so um, I just want to read the first line, and then we can start talking. How about that? Uh, this is the beginning of chapter 11. So he, it says, uh, again, now they're talking. They're back at dinner. He said, he heard me out of his head on one side, and I had another glimpse through a rent in the midst in which he moved and had his being. Does that sound familiar to you? Yes. <laughs> Where does that come from? Heart of Darkness. Yes, but also mm-hmm. that's out of the Bible. Oh, okay. You remember Paul mm-hmm. talks about the poets, and he said, mm-hmm. talks about God. It says within Him we have we move and have our being. All right. So, mm-hmm. so we know that we know that uh, Conrad did read his Bible. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, now we are going to get into more Conrad. So, so this is, a, I'll just go on here. It says, the dim, can, excuse me, the dim candle spluttered within a ball of glass, and that was all I had to see him by, at his back. So, so you have to imagine that the table, there's this candle, you know, and he can see his face because of the candle. And he says, but at his back was the dark night with the clear stars whose distant glitter disposed in retreating planes lured the iron to the depths of a greater darkness and so and and yet a mysterious light seemed to show me his boyish head as if in that moment the youth within him had for a moment gleamed and expired so so we are going to have to talk more about darkness now as we go through the book and uh you know of course conrad is really big on darkness and so so it is one of the themes or maybe I should say the symbols in the book, but it's just going to be a little bit different. So I thought I'd just throw that out right now because he just threw it at us. And he's talking about behind him there was this this greater darkness. Now also, if you remember back to youth, we I think we, there's also another line in here that I think is, is, uh, is really kind of um, interesting. And we know that in youth, uh, that whole story, Conrad was really really kind of worshiping youth and how strong it is. If you keep going down that first paragraph, it said, he was a youngster of the sort you like to see about you, of the sort you like to imagine yourself to have been, of the sort whose appearance claims the fellowship of these illusions you had thought gone out, extinct, cold, and which, as if rekindled at the approach of another flame, give a flutter deep down somewhere, give it a flutter of light, of heat. Yes, I had a glimpse of him then, and it was not the last of that kind. You don't know what it is for a fellow in my position to be believed. Make a clean breast of it to an elder man. 
It is so difficult, so awfully unfair, so hard to understand. And so, so uh, uh, this is this is really a pretty short chapter. But then Conrad launches into, um, you know, this this whole page ninety seven. It's all one paragraph, basically the whole page, and and essentially what it is, it's. It's a. It's now the story focuses on Marlowe and Jim, and it's like Marlowe is the older, wiser man, and Jim is the child facing an unexpected calamity in life, and Marlowe's are trying to help him. And uh, uh, notice, again, there, there's there's a lot of symbolism in this chapter more than than might miss the uh, meet the eye. It says the mists were closing again. This is page ninety seven. I don't know how old I appear to him and how much wise, not half as old as I felt just then, not half as uselessly wise as I knew myself to be. So he gets into this whole thing, um, you know, is, you know, is, is he the, does Jim even trust him? Is he, you know, uh, why is he talking to him? And so, so you can see that even Marlowe doubts himself a little bit here. So did you have anything to say about that? Well, yes, he, he says, Useless, uselessly wise, as I knew myself to be. So in other words, he's he's admitting he's not that wise. But, you know, as you get older, sometimes you realize how much you don't know. So in that way, I think he's being humble that way. It just, you know, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. or realistic. Well, or realistic, like you yeah. say, right, realistic. Yeah, he's not half as old as I felt just then. <laughs> so, yeah. so he felt older. <laughs> yeah. So, um yeah, so so uh, I think that's kind of interesting there that he's bringing that up. Now, in the middle of the paragraph, he said, um, again, this is where he gets getting into human nature. He says, hadn't we all commenced with the same desire, ended with the same knowledge, carried the memory of the same cherished glamour through the sordid days of imprecation? And so so he knows that word imprecation means curse. So it's, it's almost like Marlon begins to compare his life with Jim's life. And obviously, as a young man, he was obviously made mistakes too, you know. And so, so and I, I can imagine Marlowe was cursed quite a bit, just from the, the character the way it is. And uh, you know, he says, "What wonder that when some heavy prod gets home, the bond is found to be close. That besides the fellowship of the craft, there is felt the strength of a wider feeling, the feeling that binds a man to a child." And so, so he's looking now, well, of course, Jim is, I'm sure, much younger than he is, but he's now looking at him like a son. He was there before me, believing that age and wisdom can find a remedy against the pain of truth, giving me a glimpse of himself as a young fellow in a scrape that is the very devil of a scrape, the sort of scrape graybeards wag at solemnly while they hide a smile. And he had been deliberating upon death, confound him he had found that to meditate about what he thought he had saved his life while all its glamour had gone with a ship in the night that's a classic line you know so so the glamour of his life was gone he said what more natural it was tragic enough and fully and funny enough in all conscience to call aloud for compassion and in what and and what was i better than the rest of us to refuse him my pity and even as I looked at him, the mist rolled into the rent, and his voice spoke. 
So, so you know, he, he's saying he's really commiserating for the guy. And then notice what it says there. I was so lost, you know, it was a sort of thing one does not expect to happen to one. It was not like a fight, for instance. It was not, I admitted. He appeared to change if, as if he had suddenly matured. So, so in some ways, here their father and son or wiser seamen to, to younger seamen, but all of a sudden, Jim admits, I was so lost. You know? It was interesting. He said it wasn't. It wasn't like a fight, in a in a fight between two men. There's like it's like black and white. It's like you know one wins, one loses. You know there's a reason for the fight or whatever. Whereas this this was there's so many ambiguities and nuances and and it was really just it really is, it was really a confusing kind of of situation. You know it was, it was complicated as they say. Yeah, if you think about, it, I think Jim. <clears throat> If I understand what Conrad is writing, Jim really did have a lot of leadership, but the skipper didn't, and the chief engineer and the other engineer didn't. You know, uh, in fact, the one was a whiner because he had a broken arm, and so so uh, you know, it, it's it's finally like maybe maybe Jim is now because he's maturing, he's finally coming to see that well, it happened, you know. Life happens. Sometimes there's big mistakes. You got to live with them the rest of your life. And uh, you know, so so anyway, I I think this next this chapter eleven is really interesting because it seems more like it's just between the two of them, and they're they're, they're he's trying to he's trying to help him. Um. So again, I think there's greater things in there. Chapter eleven. There's the mists. And his being, there's the depths of a greater darkness, there's this mysterious light. He's a youngster, you know, that he wants to have around. Um, you know, I, I think it, it, it also says in here that Marlowe knows Jim is being cursed. Um, and Jim, when he says, I, I just was so lost, you know. So, uh, um, you know, I, I think if we, if we just keep looking now at page 98, what Jim is really what really is struggling with is the fact that he jumped. He still can't accept that he jumped. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's just really hard for him. Um, at the top of the page, he says, well, I wasn't, he said courageously, it wasn't something like the wretched story they made up. It was not a lie, but it wasn't the truth all the same. It was something. One knows a downright lie. There was not the thickness of a sheet of paper between the right and wrong of this affair. So, so in other words, Jim says, you know, he didn't care about their story. Uh, it wasn't necessarily an outright lie, but it wasn't the truth either. And he says, how much more did you want, I asked, but I think I spoke so low that he did not catch what I said. He had advanced his argument as though life had been a network of paths separated by chasms. His voice sounded reasonable. Suppose I had not, I mean to say. Suppose I had stuck to the ship. Well, how much longer? Say a minute, half a minute. Come in. Come. In 30 seconds, that seems certain then. I would have been overboard. And and do you think I would not have laid hold of the first thing that came my way? Or life, boy, grading, anything, would you? And be saved, I interjected. It would have meant to be, he retorted. And that's more than I meant I, he shivered as if about to swallow some nauseous 
drug jumped. He still can't accept that he jumped. Right. He's he's saying that well, it's kind of like there's that there's that that natural um, desire to survive to survive, you know, to save yourself. And so he's he's you know thinking about well, if he was on the ship, and and they went down, he still would have tried to save himself. So, right. And that yeah. was be, and, yeah. and there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. No. Right. But what really bugs him is mm-hmm. he wasn't at that point yet. No. And he jumped. Right. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that's what's really that's what it's really driving him insane. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, we'll just skip down to the bottom of the pages. He looked at me squarely in the face and withdrew his gaze slowly. Now you understand why I didn't, after all, didn't go out in that way. I wasn't going to be frightened at what I had done. And anyhow, if I had stuck to the ship, I would have done my best to be saved. Men have been known to float for hours in the open sea and be picked up not much worse for it. I might have lasted it out better than many others. There's nothing the matter with my heart. He withdrew his right fist from his pocket and blow, and the blow he struck on his chest sounded like a muffled detonation in the night. No, I said, he meditated with his legs slightly apart, his chin sunk, a hair's breadth, he muttered, not one breath of a hair between this and that and that time. And so, so he goes on to say, next paragraph down, jumped, he corrected me incisively, jumped, mind, he repeated, and I wondered at the evident but obscure intention. Well, yes, perhaps I could not see then, but I had plenty of time and any amount of light in that boat, and I could think, too. Nobody would know, of course, but this did not make it any easier for me. You've got to believe that, too. I did not want all this talk. No, yes, I won't lie. I wanted it. it I, I wanted it. It was the very thing I wanted there. Do you think you... You or anybody could have made me if I, I am not afraid to tell. And I wasn't afraid to think either. I looked it in the face. I wasn't going to run away. At first at night, if it hadn't been for these fellows, I might have. No, I was not going to give them that satisfaction. They had done enough. They made up a story and believed it for all I know. But I knew the truth, and I would live it down alone with myself. I wasn't going to give in to such beastly unfair thing. What did it prove after all? I was confoundedly cut up, sick of life, to tell you the truth. But what have been the good to shirk it in any in any way? That was not the way. I believe, I believe it would have. It would have ended nothing. And so he's beginning to defend why he went into the inquiry. Mm-hmm. He wanted to tell the truth. You know, so... Yeah, he, he didn't want to run away. That's that's the point. Is he he was trying to find some honor there? You know, he he wasn't going to run away. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so, so I, I think that's the way we need to look at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, why did he? I mean, the other guys ran off from the inquiry, mm-hmm. but he stayed right there. All right. So, do you think that's all we need to talk about, Chapter Eleven? Mm-hmm. Yes, I yeah. All right. So, mm-hmm. guess what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to hit chapter 12. All right. <laughs> We're going to do it. All right. So um, chapter 12, for everybody out there listening, is finally, we finally, I mean, how many how many chapters? We have 100 pages, and we finally know what happened to the Patna. And do uh, you want to start out? What well, happened well to the at the beginning, we know that they get picked up by the Avondale, first of all. Right. Yeah, that the, the, the skipper and, and 
the three and of them. The three of them and Jim. Yeah. And Jim. Yeah. So that that and, first and the, of all. And they yeah. they go they go ahead and they they start lying right mm-hmm. away. Yes. <laughs> yes. And at the top of page one hundred and one, I think um, I like what he says there. Well, they talk about the story didn't matter because they were telling everyone. But at the top it says. Um, he clasped his hands for an instant, glanced right and left into the gloom. It was like cheating the dead, he stammered. And then Marlowe Marlo says, says, and there were no dead, I said, yes. It's <laughs> so, the first time you realize. Yeah, so that's when you realize, okay. The Patna did not sink. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, notice mm-hmm. what uh, he, he goes on to say. He went away from me at this. This is the only way I can describe it. In a moment, I saw his back close to the balustrade. He stood there for some time, as if admiring the purity and the peace of the night. So now the darkness is peaceful. Mm-hmm. Some flowering shrub of the garden below spread its powerful scent through the damp air. He returned to me with hasty steps. And that did not matter, he said, as stubbornly as you please. Perhaps not, I admitted. I began to have a notion he was too much for me. After all, what did I know? Mm-hmm. Dead or not dead, I could not get clear, he said. I had to live, hadn't I? And so, so uh, uh, you know, he's uh, he's he's on the Avondale with them. They're lying. He's not going to do it. Um, but but then he still tries to defend himself. He says, "Well, yes, you take it in that way." I mumbled. And and this whole next paragraph, it shows that there was no shouting. There was no yelling. It was all in his head. It was all yeah. in his head. Mm-hmm. He says, he says, "Well, yes, you take it that way." I mumbled. I was glad, of course, he threw out carelessly with his mind, fixed on something else. The exposure he pronounced slowly and lifted his head. Do you know what was my first thought when I heard? I was relieved. I was relieved to learn that those shouts. Did I tell you I heard shouts? No. Well, I did. Shouts for help, blown along with the drizzle. Imagination, I suppose. And yet I can hardly. How stupid. The others did not. I asked them afterwards. They said, no, no. They didn't hear any shells, and he said. Uh, uh, and he said I was hearing them even then. I might have known, but I didn't think. I only listened. Very faint screams day after day. That little half-caste chap here came up and spoke to me. The Patna, the French gunboat, towed successfully to Aden. Investigation, Marine Office, Sailor's Home. So, <laughs> so he couldn't believe it when, when he heard from the the French half-caste, or or I guess from the. Uh, you know, from the gunboat, that the Patna was safe. <laughs> he had been towed in, and he said, "Hey, by the way, there's an investigation at the Marine office, and you're you're going to be in the sailors' home." <laughs> he says, uh, "He says I walked along with him, and I enjoyed the silence. So, so there had been no shouting, imagination. I had to believe him. I could hear nothing." anymore. I wondered how long I could have stood it. It was getting worse too. I mean louder. He fell into thought. And I and I had heard nothing. Well, so be it. But the lights, the lights did go. We did not see them. They were not there. If they had been, I would have swam back. I would have gone um, back and shot alongside. Uh, I would have begged them to take me on board. I would have had my chance. You doubt me? How do you know how I felt? What right do you do you have to doubt? I nearly did it as it was. Do you understand? His voice fell. There was not a glimmer, not a glimmer, he protested mournfully. 
Don't you understand that if there had been, you would have not have seen me here. You see me and you doubt. So um, uh, anyway, I think it's it's interesting that um, now in this this uh, page one hundred two they slip back to the investigation and Briarly ends up explaining why they didn't see a light, and it's it's kind of a long explanation there. And I think I think um, uh, you know Briarly in the investigation says there there was light. Of course they would lie. He says that's in the middle of the page. As a matter of fact, nobody lied, not even the chief engineer with the story of the masthead light dropping like a match you throw down. Not consciously, at least, a man with his liver in such a state might very well have seen a floating spark in the corner of his eye when stealing a hurried glance over his shoulder. He said they had seen no light in any sort of sort, though they were well within range, and they could only explain it one way. The ship had gone down. It was obvious and comforting. The foreseen fact coming to Swiftie had justified their haste. And so, so they really believed the ship was going down when, in a sense, what was happening is the ship had moved position. Right. It says it actually changed. It, it turned, and so, so it was facing a different direction. That's why they didn't see the lights. That's why they didn't see the lights. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you think they would have been smart. <laughs> but here, Briarly, who was... Now, he also, we know he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, but Briley, Briley said it was a lie. Their lights mm-hmm. were still there, but they just didn't know the ship had changed. And so, uh, so anyway, he's hearkening back to, to the, um, to the investigation. So he's not letting us forget that there's still this investigation going on. Uh, at the bottom of the page, there, page one and two, it says, "By this change in her position, all her lights were in the very few moments shut off from the boat to leeward. It may very well be that they had been seen." They would have had the, the effect of mute appeal that their glimmer lost in the darkness of the cloud would have made their mysterious power of the human glance that can awaken the feelings of remorse and pity. It would have said, I am here, still here, and what more can the eye of the most forsaken of human beings say? But she turned her back on them as if in disdain of their fate. She had swung round, burdened to glare stubbornly at the new danger of the open sea, which she so strangely survived to end her days in a breaking up yard as if it had been her recorded fate to die obscurely under the blows of many hammers. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so here the ship is personified. She's like a female partner that's been jilted. And so when they dumped her, when they jumped away from her, she turned her back on them. All right, so that is all the time we have for today. So next time, we promise, Deborah and I will continue our discussion of Chapter 12 and Jim's Dilemma over the non-seeking Patna. It gets more interesting, believe me. So don't give up on us. There's a lot more to come about the story about the Patna. You can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may, you may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Now, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. Again, you can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. You can simply search for Just the Best Literature. Now, that is its own page. 
but it is connect directly. It's connected directly to my homepage under Dennis Lee. So you can also search under that as well. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.